worn down by time. Things get shaky, they crumble, fall apart. So, build it. Build it so you can lay down your head at night, knowing you've done all you can. Build it strong enough to withstand the rain, the flood, and the storm. Build it when the world is uncertain. And nothing is guaranteed. You can build a life that's built to last. So in May of this year, my wife and I, Jen, we celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary, which was a big milestone for us. Yeah, thank you. A very polite golf clap. Uh, you guys really, actually, if you're going to clap, you should clap because it's amazing. She's put up with me for 10 years. That's pretty remarkable. So I don't, I don't know who that was. If that was her, you need to hush, honey. So anyway, uh, so we celebrated 10 years, and I was thinking back on that. We just recently took a trip to... to uh, to celebrate it, we waited until the fall to do that. But I was, I was thinking back, I, I, don't, I can't tell you what the secret is to staying in love, you know, long term. But I can tell you what the secret is to staying in love for 10 years, 5 months, and 18 days. That's all I know, okay? But here's the secret. So if you're thinking about getting married, if you're getting married and you're not quite to the point we're at, you can, you can write this down. Here's what we did when we first met. I, I thought this was really smart on my part. What we did was this. I knew immediately when I met her, I want to get to know this girl. I was really interested in, in her. And so what I did is I pulled out my calendar, and I slotted an hour on Sundays in my calendar just for her. And I said, hey, we should hang out every Sunday during this hour and kind of get to know each other. And so a lot of times, we, you know, I would just listen. She would talk, and we'd get to know each other. Every now and then, I'd bring her gifts. Every now and then, I'd even sing her songs. It was really sweet. And then it worked so well that when I, when I asked her to marry me, she said yes. And so I thought, well, why would we mess up a good thing? So we've still done that for the last 10 years. Like one hour, every Sunday, we hang out. And we don't really, um, we don't really talk much other than that. But if, I'll text her if I need some help. And it works just great. It works great. So... There's your, there's your, you see why nobody comes to me for marriage advice, huh? Anyway, today I want to talk to you about a habit. Today I want to talk to you about a habit that I think, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to overspeak here, I think it's the most important habit you can develop in your life. It is definitely one of the most important, and I know it sounds presumptuous because I don't even know what all's going on in your world and in your life for me to tell you that I know what the habit is you should develop, but I think I do, and the reason I think it's this important is because it's been true for me. It's been true for a lot of people that I've talked to and a lot of people that I've watched over the years. This one habit, the reason I think it matters so much is because it has impacted literally every single area of my life. It, from family, marriage, dating when I was single, leadership, my career, you know, job choices, uh, where I was going to go to school. There has been no major decision in my life, my finances, you name it. There's not been a single defining decision I have made in my life that hasn't been impacted by, and most of them have come out of, this one habit that I'm going to tell you about today. So some of you practice this habit, I have no doubt you do, and I hope today is just a reminder and an encouragement to you to keep it up because it matters. Uh, but many of you, this may not be a habit that you've ever practiced consistently, and so I'm just going to tell you what my agenda is up front. You, you won't have to guess. My goal is to convince you today to try this habit, to at least try it for a week. I would love it if you tried it for a month, 
Hopefully, and this is, this is my prayer, hopefully you will find this habit so helpful if you will try it that it will just become a habit you practice for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. And here's why I want to talk about this today. Because for all of us, for all of us, some of our biggest and most defining decisions we will have in life are ahead of us. For all of us. For some of us, most all of the big and defining decisions we have in life are ahead of us. Some of us have already made some of them, and we don't have quite as many ahead of us, but we still have some. It's what we're going to do with our time, how we're going to invest our time. For all of us, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You've still got some time left, and how you use that time is going to have a profound impact on your life. So you ought to pay attention to that. And I don't know if you've thought about this and if you're intentional about it, but you should think about what filter are you using to determine how you invest your time because it's going to shape your life significantly. How you use your talents, all of us have different talents. The way you use your talent is going to define your life. Uh, what you do with your resources, the values that you hold, the values by which you make decisions moving forward. I don't, again, you've got a filter. I don't know what your filter is. You may not have even thought about this consciously, but you have a filter that every time you make a decision, you make that decision through the filter of, well, these are the, my priorities and these are the things I think matter most. In other words, you have a filter of values that shape your decisions. And if those values are right, you're going to make really good decisions. If that filter is off a little bit, it's going to mess up your decision making. We, you've got some, some big life-defining decisions ahead of you in terms of um, for some of you, your finances and the choices you make financially. For all of us, we're one financial choice away from a better future. We're one financial choice away from a worse future. So it really doesn't matter what stage of life we're in. That's still true for us. Same thing's true with relationships, the way, you know, our friendships. If you're married, your, your marriage. If, you know, you're dating, your dating relationships, whatever that may be. Your career. Some of us are, you know, we have some big defining decisions ahead of us in terms of our career. And we don't even know what they are now, but they're going to come. And when they come, we're going to have to decide, do I change jobs? Do I take the promotion? Do I change careers entirely? And that's going to shape our lives. It's going to not just shape our lives. It's going to shape our families. It's going to shape the people who are around us. I mean, we could go on and on. My point is, you've got some big decisions ahead of you. And for some of you, you're far enough along in life, and this is important to understand. This is true to some extent for all of us, but really, I think the closer, the older you get and the closer you, you know, the less time you have, I was about to say the closer you get to death, but that sounds morbid. So, you know, the, the less time you have, here's the thing, here's the thing. The, the closer you get, you know, to the end of your life, your decisions, I think, carry an even bigger weight. And you're like, well, I don't, you know, I've kind of set my life and it's good. Yeah, but, but people behind you are watching you, like the generations behind you are watching you. And that's true for all of us. But I think the gravity of our decisions and the impact or the influence we have on people, the older we get, the, the bigger the impact and the influence is. And so you, you've, some of the decisions you're going to make, they're not just going to impact you. They're significantly going to impact the people who are coming along behind you and they're watching you. And you know what makes decisions hard? I mean, you get this, right? You get this. It, it doesn't matter if it's a job decision, a family decision, a dating decision, a finance decision. I mean, you name it, a friendship decision. The thing that makes decisions so difficult are these two factors. It is the unknown and the uncertain is the unknown and the uncertain. Wouldn't it be nice if we all had a crystal ball and every time we came to a decision, 
Should I, you know, major in that? Should I go to that school? Should I take that job? Should I switch careers? Should I retire now? You know, should we, how should I handle this parenting situation? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a crystal ball and we could just rub that crystal ball and it showed us like all the different alternatives we have. And if you make decision A, here's the outcome. If you make decision B, here's the outcome. I mean, we'd be, we'd be a lot smarter than we are if we had that. But none of us have that luxury, do we? And this is what's so frustrating about decision making. There is limited information there are all of these unknowns. Well, if I do this, is it going to? I don't know. And there is uncertainty. There are no guaranteed outcomes. There's limited information, and there are no guaranteed outcomes. And then the question becomes, well, how do I, you know, how do I know I'm making the right decision here? And how do I know how this is going to turn out? And this is what stresses some of you out, isn't it? Some of you are facing a decision right now, and you're stressed to no end. You're not sure what to do. You don't want to pull the trigger because of the unknown and because of the uncertain. And yet at the same time, you know this intuitively, even if you don't acknowledge it because it, you know, it just scares you to death, but you know intuitively the decisions that you make today are writing your story, your future for tomorrow. The decisions you make today are writing tomorrow's future and tomorrow's story for you. In other words, every decision that you make, doesn't matter if it seems big or small, your decisions put you on a path. And that path leads to a destination. And as we've talked about here before from time to time, our intentions, as good as they are, our best intentions are not enough to get us to the kind of life that we want to live. They're just not. It is decisions that determine direction. It is direction and not intention that determines our destination. And so how do you make decisions with confidence? How do you make decisions with wisdom? How do you make decisions and go, okay, well, I'm pretty sure that's the way I ought to go, and I think it's all going to work out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move confidently in that direction when there's so much unknown and there's so much uncertain. Well, for a lot of people, what they do is this, and maybe this is you sometimes. This has probably been all of us at some point. We'll make decisions based off of, you know, just trusting our instincts. We'll make decisions based off of, oh, I'm going to follow my heart here. We'll make decisions based off of, what well, my gut tells me, and I just think, and it's, you know, it's the right way to go. But here's what's so scary about that. You were trusting your instinct to make a decision about something while at the same time you don't know what you don't know. And you're following your heart to make a decision about something where you've never been where you're going. And so it just doesn't seem really smart. It's why you're still, you've still got this uncertainty and this unease as you make decisions. Because you don't know what you don't know. You haven't been where you're going. And you can trust your gut and your instinct. And you can follow your heart all you want, want. But your heart doesn't always lead you to the right place. You know that. That's, that's true for all of us in our past. Your instincts aren't always right. And yet at the same time, when we face decisions, and we don't always know that they're life-defining decisions, but when we face these kinds of decisions, we want to have enough wisdom, enough confidence to go, okay, I'm doing the right thing, and I'm going the right direction. But how do you figure that out? And how do you navigate through all the unknown and all the uncertainty? Because again, you're putting yourself on a path. When you're a teenager and you're making decisions, you're putting yourself on a path that's going to impact you the rest of your life. When you're a college student or a single adult and you're trying to make some of these big life decisions, you're putting yourself on a path and you're going to, you know, you're going to reap the rewards of the consequences of those decisions financially, relationally, for the rest of your life. When you're you know, married and you're making decisions, you're impacting your spouse, your kids, you're, you're shaping your family for the rest of your life. So how do you deal with all that and make sure you do the right thing? That is the value to me of this one habit 
that I'm going to talk to you about today. This is the habit. This is the habit that can help you make a decision, that can uh, shape your filter, if you will, so that you have confidence that the decisions you're making are based on the right values and you're moving in the right direction. This is a habit that will help you develop and make decisions for a life that is built to last. It's a habit that will make your life richer, your relationship stronger, and make your all-around world better. But this habit is a long play, okay? It's not, I'm not saying it doesn't help you in the short term. But here's the thing I've learned about what we're going to talk about today. The longer you do it, the more consistently you do it over time, the better the habit becomes. The longer you do it, the longer the play, it's like compound growth. And the impact it has on your decision-making, the impact it has on your life, and the rewards that it delivers, they grow exponentially. So I want to introduce you today to the habit, uh, and I'm going to do that by reading you something that one of Jesus' brothers wrote. Now, if you just pause and think about that, if you grew up in church, we kind of take this for granted, but just stop and think about that. Like Jesus, one of his brothers, James, wrote a letter to Christians in the first century. We still have it today. We know what Jesus' brother thought about what Jesus taught and how Jesus' brother applied it to his own life and taught other people to apply it. That's pretty incredible. And James wrote about this habit. He was writing this letter. The whole uh, point or the whole purpose of this letter we call James, James is trying to help Christians learn how to live with wisdom, how to develop a filter of wisdom, and how to make better decisions in the midst of the unknown and the uncertain. Now, the thing I'll say before we read this, if you're not a Jesus follower or you're just trying to figure this out and you're, you know, you're not sure, here's the beauty of what we're going to talk about today. This habit will work for you, and I'll explain why near the end, but this habit will work for you whether you believe in Jesus or not. This is so cool. If you'll just do what we're going to talk about, you will gain wisdom even if you don't believe everything that Jesus taught. So here's what James writes to the Christians in the first century, and it, it's amazing that 2,000 years later, this sounds just like what we all do. This applies to all of us and what we struggle with. Here's what he said about this habit. Do not merely listen to the Word. Now, he's talking about Jesus' teachings. He's talking about, you know, the writings of Scripture. You know, in churches, we call it God's Word sometimes. That's all he's referring to, or the Scriptures. He said, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just pause for a second. James says, hey, You need to be aware of something. There's a really common trap that a lot of people fall into. The trap is self-deception. The trap is self-deception. And we don't know we fall into the trap because we're not aware enough to know we're deceiving ourselves. That's the whole point of self-deception. But it is possible, James said, for you to fool yourself into thinking that you are wiser, smarter, and better than you really are. And the way you fool yourself into that is by acquiring knowledge without applying knowledge. This is all he's talking about. James says you got to watch out because if you begin to acquire knowledge, if you begin to um, acquire wisdom, if you begin you know, to put some life experiences together and get some things under your belt and you know, you're taught some things, but you, you know it and yet you never actually apply it, you will end up deceiving yourself into thinking you're going the right way, making smart decisions, you're headed the, on the right path, and you won't be. You can't just listen to it. He says you have to do what it says. And when you fall into this trap, He paints a picture. He says, here's what it looks like, and here's basically the choice that you're making. Verse 23, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, next slide, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets 
what he looks like. Now, here's what I know. This morning, you do this every single morning. This morning, you woke up. When you woke up, you shuffled to the you know, bathroom, and you stared in the mirror. And what you saw in the mirror is not what we all see right now, is it? It wasn't even close. Like, when you looked in the mirror, you saw a, probably a body that needed washing, some hair that needed helping. You saw teeth that needed brushing, breath that needed refre- refreshing. Basically, every single morning when you shuffle to the bathroom and you look in the mirror, you see a fixer-upper of epic proportions. That's what you're looking at. Chip and Joanna, they ain't got nothing on what you do every morning. I mean, you, you do some work, don't you? So do I. We do some work, right? Because, and we would never, we would never, ever, ever, you didn't do this today. You would never consider shuffling to the bathroom, taking a quick glance and going, whoa, that's rough today, and then just walking out the door and heading to church or heading to work. You would never do that. I mean, you do something. We don't care if you shuffle in here, but you still do something because you just, you just know I'm not going out in public like that. I'm not letting people see me like that. Well, James says, hey, let me, let me tell you what's happening. He says what often happens, and as Christians, we're so guilty of this. He says what often happens is I watch people who follow Jesus, and they hear practical truth, or they open up the Bible and they read some practical teaching and some practical truth. And what happens, James says, whenever you take God's word and you begin to open it up and you begin to read, he says, it's kind of like what happens when you stare in the mirror. You immediately see some things that need fixing up. You see some stuff in your heart, not on the exterior, on the interior. You see some stuff in your heart that if you spend a little bit of time reading this, It's like a mirror. It shows you the ugly things in your heart that need working on. Sometimes when we open this up and start reading, we see things like guilt rattling around in our heart. Guilt over things we've done in our past and we've never addressed it. Guilt over things that we shouldn't feel guilty about anymore, but we still carry guilt because we haven't forgiven ourselves. And James says, hey, you, you know, you're staring in the mirror. You're seeing this guilt. And the thing to do when you see it is the same thing you do when you see your hair, when you, you know, have to brush your teeth. It's to actually pick up a toothbrush and brush it. It's to actually pick up a comb and comb it. The thing you should do when you see that guilt is you should figure out, okay, let me confess this and get rid of the guilt. Let me fix it. He says some of you, when you look in God's Word, you, it's going to reflect back some anger. You're going to see some anger rattling around in your heart. And the thing to do is not ignore it. The thing to do is to forgive. The thing to do is to extend some forgiveness. The thing to do is to cancel some debts, not for the sake of the person who's hurt you, but for your own health and for your own heart and for your own sake. Sometimes when you look in the mirror of God's word, what, what reflects back to you is greed. And none of us want to see that, and so typically we glance away as quick as we see it and we convince ourselves we're not greedy and we justify and rationalize the choices we make when it comes to our time, when it comes to our money, what, you know, however our greed is expressed. But when you look in God's word, it says, okay, no, 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 don't do that. Give, like, let's figure out how to make a generous gift. I don't feel like, I know you don't feel like it because you're greedy. You, you do it anyway, and it's going to break the grip of greed in your heart. You got you to gotta fix it. You shouldn't ignore it. Same thing's true for some of us with uh, jealousy. We, we look in the mirror, and we see some jealousy rattling around. We think about the conversation we had with so-and-so about that person and the thing that came out of our mouth about them, and we, you know, we're kind of embarrassed and that sounded really jealous, but we, you know, we don't deal with it. Instead of just saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this jealousy out. I'm going to bring it out into the light, and I'm going to address it. I'm just going to start celebrating the successes of the people I'm jealous of because it'll root jealousy out of me. Sometimes when we look in this mirror, we start to see some lies. 
And I'm not just saying like lies we told, although that could be it, but lies we believe. Lies we believe about ourselves, lies we believe about others. And James would say, okay, it's so foolish. It's so foolish to look in the mirror and to see those lies and then just turn and walk away and forget what you saw because the lies are going to keep hurting you. You've got to embrace the truth. The same thing's true of pride and insecurity, and we could go on and on. James' point here is simply this, that whenever you come face to face with some truth about what's going on in your heart, and it's a truth that you don't like, it's a truth that makes you uncomfortable, it's a truth you don't appreciate, whenever you come face to face with Jesus' teaching or the writings of Scripture and it reveals something you don't like, the worst thing you can do is to walk away and ignore it, to walk away and forget, because it's going to keep hurting and damaging you whether you address it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And yet there is a tendency in all of us, isn't there, to see that and to think, oh, that looks ugly, to see that and think, oh, I don't want to address that, to see that and to feel bad about it and go, no, 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 I'm going to ignore it and just walk away. Now, what fascinates me about this is apparently 2,000 years ago, human nature was no different than now. They were doing the exact same thing. So James is writing to these Christians. He's saying, okay, no, no, you can't. You can't just walk away. And here's why. If you walk away and forget what you saw and you never address it, then basically you're putting your problems on repeat and all your struggles on shuffle in your life. This explains why you keep having the same issues over and over in your life because you see a problem but you're not willing to admit it and you're not willing to own it. And so you end up in the same place with your job over and over again and you wonder, well, why is that boss like that boss like that boss like that boss and none of them will promote me and... I end up in dead-end positions, and none of them will give me a chance. And it's pointing a finger at everybody else when the real issue is right inside of you. But you wouldn't look in the mirror and stay there and stare at it and fix it. Same thing's true with marriages and relationships and friendships and money. Oh, here we are again. I'm in the same place. I just have the worst luck. I just have the worst luck with money. And every time I seem to get ahead, I just have the worst luck. It's like, well, nobody else is having that luck. Well, yeah, they are. They're all having the same luck. They're just not making the same financial decisions you are. So they don't keep ending up in the same place you do. But instead of looking inside and going, oh, there's some things in me, and I think I'm responsible for why I keep ending up here, we all like just to, you know, glance at the mirror and turn away as quick as we can and then blame our circumstances or blame the other person or Blame the friend. And James says, as long as you do that, as long as you do that, you're going to have a faulty filter through which you're making your decisions. As long as you do that, you're going to keep ending up on the wrong path, and it's going to keep taking you to the wrong destination. So James introduces us to a habit that will fix all of that. Here's what he says, verse 25. He says, but whoever looks intently... So in other words, James says, no more quick glances, no more, oh, that looked bad. Oh, I hate I said that. Oh, I wish I hadn't have let them see, you know, know I was struggling with that and just move on. No, he says, we're going to just stare in the mirror for a little bit. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, he's referring again to God's word. And what I find so interesting about this is James wants us to know it's perfect, which just means this. If you decide to make what you find in Scripture your filter or the value system through which you make your decisions, James says it's perfect. It's never going to steer you wrong. All that unknown and all that uncertainty, there are some things that Jesus taught that can guide you right through all of that. He says whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. So James says, hey, I just want you to know, if you'll practice this habit, this is where you end up. You end up with a better life. 
you end up with a life of freedom. You end up happier than you are right now. He says, if you look into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, I'm, I'm going to practice something, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. So this is, okay, I'm, I'm seeing it, and I'm learning some truth, and now I'm going to apply it. Here's the promise James gives. He says, they will be blessed in what they do. You know what blessed means. Blessed means to be happy. Blessed means to be at peace. But here's what I want to make sure you're, we're clear on. James is not referring here to the kind of blessed that's a warm, fuzzy feeling. Okay, I just feel so blessed. That's not what he's talking about. This is a very, very, very practical kind of blessed. James is saying, in very practical ways, you will be happier and you will be more at peace in all the things that you do if you will learn to develop a habit of waking up, looking in God's Word, staring in this mirror for a little bit, letting it identify some things in your life you need to focus on, and then fixing it. If you will do that, if that'll be your habit, he says you're going to be happier and more at peace in everything you do. Now, what do you do? You do decisions every single day, don't you? And James is making a promise. James is saying you will be wiser and you will be better and you will have more clarity and you will have more confidence with every decision you make in spite of the unknowns and the uncertainties. You will be happier and you will be more at peace with the decisions you make in spite of the unknowns and the uncertainties if you'll just practice this habit. You do finances every single day. And as much as you find this hard to believe, James would argue, you will be happier and you will be more at peace if you will look into what Jesus said and you will apply it to your financial world. If you'll look in and you'll figure out the areas where you're off base with what Jesus said and realign your finances and your financial management to what he taught. Because you're going to have more contentment, you're going to have more peace, and you're going to have more self-control, which means your finances are going to be better. And as, no matter how you're doing your finances now, James would argue you'll be happier and more at peace if you'll apply what Jesus said to your finances. Same is true for your relationships. Because if you stare into what Jesus taught every single day and you figure out how to align your life with it, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be more loving, more joyful, more kind, more self-controlled, more gentle. You are going to become a better person, which means all of your relationships are going to get better. And this is a kicker you never think about. The better you become as a person you're going to attract people just like you, around you. And all of your relational world is going to get happier and is going to be more at peace. There's not going to be the drama. There's not going to be all that. No, no, no. All that's going to begin to disappear. If you will take what Jesus taught, align your heart with it when it comes to your relationships. Same's true for your job. Same's true for, you know, if you're in school as a student. Because when you begin to take what Jesus taught and align your heart to it, your work ethic improves. You become more responsible. You become a better employee. You become a better coworker. You become a better classmate. You become a better friend. I mean, we could go on and on. James says, whatever you do, think about all the things you do in your world, whatever you do, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more at peace. If you'll develop this simple habit, this simple habit of taking every day a little bit of time to wake up, look at what God has to say, Figuring out, okay, based on that, what is it showing me in my heart that needs fixing? And then fixing it. It's going to change your life. Now, 
The reason I know that's true is because this is my story, okay? This is my story. Um, since I was 10 years old, I have pretty much, and it's not been true every single day, but um, on whole, most every day of my life, I have gotten up every single morning, and I've opened up a Bible, and I have read what it has to say, and I've spent some time reflecting on what I'm learning from it and what I need to change in my life. Now, I haven't done that since I'm 10 because I love God a lot more than you. That is not the case at all. Let me tell you why I've done that since I'm 10. Because when I was 10 years old, for my 10th birthday, my parents gave me this Bible. Who gives a 10-year-old a Bible for a birthday present? I'll probably, it probably was not on my list, but that's what they gave me, okay? And when they gave it to me, I still remember this. When they gave it to me, they said, okay, Matt, I want to show you something. At the very front of this Bible, maybe you've seen this in your Bibles, the very front of this Bible, They said, hey, here's a plan to read through the Bible in a year. And you might want to just start doing that. Wake up every day and just read what it says, and you'll read through the Bible in a year. Now, I am not, if you have 10-year-olds, I'm not suggesting you do this, okay? You don't want them to turn out like me anyway, so don't go down that road. Uh, The reason I wouldn't suggest you do this is because what my mom and dad didn't tell me is that by reading four chapters of the Bible every day as a 10-year-old, one, that takes a long time, and two... It didn't take me very long to hit Leviticus. And if you've ever read Leviticus, you can only imagine what I thought as a 10-year-old. So it was, a, it, was a, it was more work than enjoyment to get through some of that. Fortunately, if you have a 10-year-old, we give them age-appropriate stuff to read every day. But the point is this. What they did is I just didn't know any better. They said, hey, you ought to try this. And so I just tried it. And what it did is it developed a habit in my life. I would open this up every single morning, and I would read a little bit. And I'd try to figure out what it meant to me and what I needed to change or what I needed to, you know, do because of it. And then I did it. And I am convinced that the compound growth over the course of my life by doing this has been extraordinary. It has given me much greater wisdom and much greater confidence in decision making. It has kept me out of so many difficult situations, and it has helped me navigate through so many other difficult situations simply because I had some knowledge that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't spent a little time reading this, and then I was able to apply it. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to show you how you can develop this habit. It's really simple. I want to show you how you can develop this habit. If you've never read a Bible before, if you've never even cracked one open, You can do this, okay? This is not complicated. I'm going to show you how. It's really simple. And hopefully I'm going to inspire you to try this for at least the next week, maybe the next month. I hope it will become a habit that you'll spend the rest of your life doing, not because it benefits me in any way, but because it will benefit you extraordinarily. So there are three things you need to know. There are three parts, if you will, to developing this habit. Here's what you need. You need daily reading, daily reflection, and daily reminders. So let me just unpack these for you real quickly. First of all, when it comes to daily reading, the way to make this work the easiest is you got to think of three things. you got to think of a time, place, and a plan. Okay? Now, for me, my time is this. I get up every single morning. I'm in the office by uh, 6 a.m. at the latest, and I'm opening up my Bible, and I'm starting to read, and it's quiet, and nobody bothers me, and so that works great. You're, you can pick a time whenever you want. It doesn't matter when you do it. I love to do it first thing in the morning because it just sets my mind and sets, you know, kind of gets me focused and on the right track for my day, but I don't care when you do it. But I'm telling you, if you don't pick a time, if you don't put it in your schedule and make it part of your routine, you'll never stick with this habit. So you need to think through if you want to do this habit, okay, well, what's the best time for me? Whenever it is, doesn't matter. Just make it a consistent time. And then I would recommend you have a consistent place. You have a consistent place. It can be 
at your desk at work. It can be a certain chair you have at your house. It can be out on your back porch. It can be, you know, every morning you grab your coffee and you sit down at the kitchen table or at the kitchen bar. Like, it doesn't matter. You just find a consistent place. And the reason I found that so helpful, and you know this, is when you have a routine and you have a consistent time at a consistent place, when you show up there, it's like your brain just locks in. You're, over time, your brain just knows, oh, this is what I'm here for. And it's much easier to focus. So you need a consistent time a consistent place, and then you need a plan. You need a plan. And like I said, I wouldn't suggest trying to read through the Bible in a year right off the bat, okay? I've done that several times. If you want to do it, it's great, but you don't have to do that. But you do need a plan. Otherwise, after about three days, you're like, I don't even know what to do and where to turn, and you just end up giving up. So you just need a simple plan to follow. It couldn't be any easier now because you can go to Bible.com or you can download the Bible app on your phone, and they have thousands of plans. You can type in... You know, I want to plan about dating, or I want to plan about marriage, or I want to plan about God's will, or whatever, and they'll just pop right up. If you don't want to do that, I'll tell you what I do. I pick a book of the Bible. You could start with James, what we're reading right now. And every morning, just get up, read a few verses, maybe read a whole chapter. You don't need to read more than a chapter. But you can just pick a book of the Bible that maybe a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you know, whatever you want to use, and just go through that and read a little bit every day. That's what daily reading looks like. That's all it takes, a time, a place, and a plan. And then after you, this only takes a few minutes, after you read whatever you're going to read, the second piece is you need a habit of daily reflection. In other words, you need to think about what you read and how it applies to your life. And again, this is not complicated. I'm going to give you four questions you can ask yourself. Now, I don't care if you use these or not, okay? You can do this any way you want. But maybe these questions will help you get started. Here's a simple way to reflect on whatever you read. You ask yourself, what do I need to know? Why do I need to know it? What do I need to do? And why do I need to do it? It's really that simple. Okay, what do I need to know? Out of what I just read, what is the truth? What is the principle? Like, what is the knowledge that I need to grab a hold of? What do I need to know out of this? You spend a few minutes thinking about that. That usually doesn't take long. And then ask yourself, okay, why do I need to know it? Why do I need to know it? And here's, here's why this question is important. This question forces you to take that truth and think about how it intersects with your life. Okay, so this is, this is the truth, but why is it relevant to me? This is the truth, but how will it make an impact or difference in my life? You spend a few minutes thinking about that and how it applies. And then once you've identified that, you ask yourself, okay, what do I need to do now? Because i got to do something. I can't just listen. I can't just know. I have to apply. So what should I do because of what I just learned? And usually it's pretty easy for you to figure that out. There's a conversation you need to have, or there's a habit you need to change, or there's something, you know, it's pretty easy to see what you need to adjust. And then the last question, why do I need to do it, is important. Because this reminds you why it matters. In other words, if I do what I'm thinking about doing, how's it going to impact my life? How's it going to benefit me? How's it going to benefit the people around me. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, you know, you're not sure what you believe about all this, here is the beauty for you. You can do this. You can open up the Bible. You can read it every day. You can ask yourself these questions, and you're thinking, well, why would I do that? I don't even believe it all. It doesn't matter that you believe it all, because here's what I know about all of us. You learn things from people, you learn things from books, and you learn things from podcasts that you do not agree with or believe everything that you read, hear, or talk to uh, the person you talk to. I mean, you do this all the time. You don't just learn from people you think are infallible and perfect. You learn from stuff all the time where you don't agree with everything, but you're like, wow, that is a good idea. 
wow, that is a really good thought. Wow, that is a really good truth. I think I'm going to try to apply that principle. You do this all the time. So you can open up a Bible and read it, and you don't have to believe everything in it. This is pretty remarkable. It'll still work for you. You can pull out the things that are, you find true, and you can pull out the things that you find you believe and you find helpful, and you can apply them. So everybody, everybody can do this. So you need a daily reading, then you need a time of daily reflection, and then the third thing is what I call these daily reminders. These are visible cues to refocus and reconnect, okay? Visible cues to refocus and reconnect. Now, I'm guessing you're like me, and when your day starts, you're running from the time you begin to the time you end, and if you're not careful, you will go all day long just checking things off and getting through your schedule, and you will not think about what you read that morning at all. So one of the things that I have found to be helpful, and you can figure out your own way to do it, is to create some daily reminders that just cause me to pause and to remember, oh yeah, this is what I'm trying to focus on today. This is what I learned this morning. This is what I'm trying to do or to change. Sometimes I will take something, if I know it's something I need to see every day for a while, and I'll write it on an index card, and I'll put it right there on my desk, or I'll put it somewhere where I'll see it in my car maybe. Uh, Sometimes I'll set notifications on my phone or I'll set an alarm and every time it goes off, it's a reminder. For a long time, I haven't done this in a while, but for a lot of years, I would uh, put a rubber band on my wrist. And so I'd find myself in meetings or whatever and I'd end up, you know, just be messing with the rubber band and it would be a reminder. Oh yeah, oh yeah, don't forget, don't forget. Now here's why these daily reminders are so valuable. Imagine, and for some of you, you've never really thought of this, but imagine how different, imagine how different your day would be if you went through every single activity aware that God was with you. Imagine how different your day would be if you actually believed that God was at work around you and you had an opportunity to interact with him and to cooperate with him and what he was doing as you went through your day. Imagine if instead of just running into that meeting, you paused before you walked in, you thought, okay, we got to figure out how in this meeting to um, generate more net profit. We've got to figure out how to increase revenue. We've got to figure out how to manage this project or get this thing done for school. But imagine if before you walked in, you said, in the midst of all that, and all that's important, and God actually cares about it. But the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pay attention to where God might be working and how I might encourage these people. You would be amazed at where you began to see God and the ways he used you to encourage and impact lives if you just thought about that as you went about your day. Or you're framing the house, you know, you're, you're building the garage, you're doing whatever you do for a living, you're teaching the class. And you went into it going, nope, I'm, this isn't just a job. Like, this job matters to God, what I do matters, so I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But I also have a chance while I do what I do to impact and influence somebody else. So I'm going to look for the opportunities God gives me and where he may be at work. That will completely change the way you live your life and the way you experience your days, and the purpose and meaning you have behind them. So, those are the three things you need. You need daily reading, you need daily reflection, and then you need some daily reminders. That's all it takes to develop this habit. So here's what I want to ask you to do. It's real simple. I want to ask you um, to consider this, that you will become close to God when you spend consistent time with God, and you do what he says that you will become close to God. Now think about this. Isn't this how relationships work? You've said, I wish I was closer to God, or I never really hear God speak. Well, how do relationships work? You become close to God when you spend consistent time with God and you do what he says. As you know, this is how it works in marriage. 
Jen and I have not had 10 great years of marriage because I, you know, took an hour on Sunday and I said, that's yours and I'm going to give you gifts and I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to sing you some songs every now and then and then we're good until next Sunday. But that's how we sometimes approach our relationship with God. You're as close to God as you choose to be because you're as close to God as the amount of time you choose to spend with him. Learning, listening, and then doing what he says. So, Here's how this looks in a really practical way. And I hope this is a challenge that you'll take up. That, if you, that you will spend 15 minutes with God every single day. Now, this isn't like legalistic, like you shouldn't feel terrible if you miss a day or miss a couple of days. You just jump right back in. But that you make this a habit. This is all it takes to get started. I'm just going to take 15 minutes. I'm going to carve it out into my schedule. I'm going to get up a little earlier. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm not going to turn the TV on. Instead, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to take 15 minutes. And I'm going to just try this habit for a week. Try it for a month. Spend a little bit of time, that 15 minutes reading, spend a little bit of that time reflecting, and then create some reminder as you go through the day so you don't forget what you learn. From uh, time to time, this happens fairly frequently. Somebody will catch me after a sermon or a series we've done here, and they'll say, man, Matt, that was so good. That was so helpful. I just wish I'd known that two years ago. I wish I'd known that you know, in my first marriage, I wish I'd known that before we started dating or before we, I got married, you know, they'll, they'll start telling me about time in their life where if they'd just known, if they'd just heard, if, you know, if they just understood what I'd explain, then their life would have turned out differently. And I get to hear the whole story and I, I completely get it. When you say those things, I'm like, yeah, I understand. I know, I know, I know. And I'm glad you're connecting those dots. But here's the other thing I always think. I always think, man, I hate that because you could have known. Man, I hate that because you didn't have to wait for me to do a series or to do a sermon for you to know that truth because it's been in here the whole time. And if you would have not relied on me to explain it to you, if you wouldn't have relied on me to teach it to you, but if you'd have developed a habit just to spend a few minutes listening to God and reading his word every single day, you might just have come across that truth and it would have changed the trajectory of your life. Because it was here. You just didn't engage. It was here. You just didn't take the time to look for it. I don't want that for you moving forward. I want you to know that God is with you, to know what he values, and to have the confidence as you make decisions that sometimes you don't even know are life-defining, but they are. To have the confidence you're making them with wisdom because you're making them based on his values. So, I'll say it again. If you don't remember anything else today, just remember this. That you, go to the next slide there, you become close to God when you spend consistent time with God. And you do what he says. And here's the beauty of it. He invites you to do this. He invites you into a relationship with him. Even if you don't follow Jesus, this is the beauty of it. God says, hey, you want to get to know me? You want to check this out? You want to figure out what it looks like to have a relationship with me? Just the most concrete way you can hear me speak is to open up Scripture and to read it. And you've got an invitation from him to interact with him, to learn from him, to listen to him every day. Because what he cares about, what he values, 
and what he believes are right there in our New Testament. They're right there in the Jewish scriptures. They're right there in our Bible. So, if you hadn't done this, just try it. 15 minutes a day for the next week. Pick a plan. Spend some time reading, reflecting. Create a reminder. And see what happens. You will be glad you did. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this, or I want to get my teenager, or, you know, I got a friend, and they were just talking about this. If you want to share this message with somebody, here's all you got to do. You can just go download our app in the app store. Just search Journey Cowway. This is going to be there. It'll be there uh, starting today, starting this afternoon. You can share it really easily right from our app, and it'll be a way for you to help somebody else engage and interact with their Heavenly Father. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the invitation. Uh, we don't want to take that for granted. It is remarkable that you invite us to interact with you, that you invite us to be a part of your family, and as a son or a daughter of you, you, you want us to know you, that the relationship is what matters most to you. So would you help us to carve out a little bit of time just to try this? Because like any relationship, our relationship with you is going to grow when we spend consistent time with you. Listen to you and do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.